And so I asked them, well, if your God has a birthday, can he die? And they said, yeah, he can, he can, our God can die. And I said, well, let me tell you about my God. And I had a chance to minister that, that word so, so appropriate. I'm sorry your God's dead. I'm sorry Buddha's dead. I'm sorry Song Moon is dead. But my God's not dead. He's alive and living in our heart and our home. And we thank God for that. So pleased this morning to have our guests. Glad you're here. Sir, you're a blessing. And uh, we have a special treat this morning. Angel's sister, who is much better looking than him, is here this morning with her precious husband and their four beautiful children. Just kind of wave. Everybody know where you're at. We are so glad. Now, you're not Angel's twin, but he has a twin, but you're not the twin. Is the twin as pretty as you are? That's a good answer. That was a good, that was a good answer. They came in yesterday to hang out with Courtney, and we so much enjoy them being here and being a part. Uh, early this morning, uh, probably before 8 o'clock, Austin was here getting the sanctuary ready. The guys were here at 9 o'clock, the praise and worship team. Sometimes we don't realize how much a blessing they are. But uh, if you enjoyed the worship today, it was with the cost. With no preparation, there is no presence. But when you prepare for the things of God and the favor of God, God always shows up and God always honors and God always blesses. I want to pick on Austin today because this week he had a birthday. Austin had a – actually, it was last Wednesday, but you weren't here. We didn't get to sing to you. So I want everybody to turn around look at Austin. And we're going to – are you ready? Happy birthday to you. Everybody sing. Happy birthday. Real loud now. Happy birthday, dear Austin. Happy birthday to you. And many more. And many more. We're glad you're here. If you'll go with me to the book of Job, directly in front of the book of Psalms, it's not a man's name. I'm sorry, it is a man's name. It's not a job. A lot of people don't read this book because they think there's work involved. But it's not a job. It's a man's name. Job is probably one of the most interesting books of the Bible. Uh, most Bible scholars believe that Job was written by Moses. We know that Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody and then he murdered Egyptian soldier, and he went into hiding for 40 years, realizing he was a nobody. And then God restored him. He spent the last 40 years of his life realizing that God could take a nobody and make a somebody out of them. I'm here to tell you this morning that God can take you just the way you are. And the more broken you are, the more God intervenes on your behalf. But God can take broken, hurting, wounded vessels and turn them into champions, and turn them into warriors, and turn them into life-changing people. Look at somebody and say, I would really like to be used of God to change someone's life for the better, for the better. Husband and wife, the husband's goal in life was to fly in a helicopter. They went to see how much it cost. It was $50. He said, I really want to fly this helicopter. His wife said, $50 is $50. We're not going to do that. A couple of years later, they were at a fair, and there was a helicopter, and he wanted to fly in this helicopter, and he told his wife, I really want to fly in this helicopter. And his wife said, it's $50, and $50 is $50. And so a couple of years later, they were at a state park, and there 
They saw the helicopter, and he told his wife, I really would like to fly in a helicopter before I die. And they begin to argue back and forth. They begin to fuss. And she said, $50 is $50. Well, the pilot overheard them arguing, arguing and told them, you guys are getting on my nerves. I'll tell you what. I'll take you for a helicopter ride. And I won't charge you a dollar if you don't say a single word the whole time. And they said, we'll take that. We'll take that. We'll take that. But we'll take that. We'll do that. So they got in the helicopter, got up there, and the, and the pilot started going crazy, doing rolls and spins and fallouts. And uh, didn't hear a single word from the back seat. Landed the helicopter, looked back to say, you guys are the most quiet people. Then he realized the wife wasn't there. And he looked at the man and said, what happened? He said, well, I started to say something when you turned upside down and she fell out, but $50 is $50. So hopefully you're in, some, you're in someone's life. Five minutes later, Melissa gets it. That's because she's blonde. That's okay. So Katie, did you get it? $50, Katie. So hope we want to be a blessing in, in someone's life. Let me tell you some crazy things about the book of Job. Uh, many people believe that when Moses was in hiding and, and rebuilding his life, that he met Job. Uh, Job lived in Persia, which today is Iran and Iraq. The nation has been divided, and those two countries now, Iran and Iraq, so so Job was from Iran. Job was from Iraq. And the Bible says he was the wealthiest man alive. He was the wealthiest man alive. And Moses met Job, and Moses wrote the story, the 42 chapters that we have. And if that's true, Matt, Bible scholars believe that Genesis is not the first book of the Bible, but Job is. And if you will buy a chronological Bible, which actually has the Bible in chronological events, the time span, you'll find Job is the first book of the Bible. Job is an incredible story because it deals with a man that did not have a pastor. He didn't have a mentor. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have Christian television. He didn't have counselors. But somehow on his own, Job found a way to worship God. And his worship, the Bible declares, was perfect. He was a perfect an upright man, and he walked before God, and God honored him, and God blessed him. There was a day, and I believe there is still days coming when there's a place. I, I believe I know pretty much where that place is, but there is a window. There is a second heaven. There's a place where God comes down, and God meets with the sons of God. A lot of controversy as to who or what sons of God are. There's a very good possibility that before Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, they may have had other children before the fall. If that is true, then these sons were born in righteousness, integrity, and equity. Very good possibility. It could be a race that we don't know a whole lot about. Or it could actually be sons from another planet, from another galaxy. Does that excite anybody? I mean, just that, just that one little chapter in the book of Job says that the Bible says that God came down. And the sons of God went to where he was to meet him. And in this meeting, the devil showed up. And the devil was a part of this meeting. And the, God asked the devil, where are you? Where have you been? What have you been doing? He said, I've been walking to and fro the planet Earth. I've been walking around the planet Earth. And God said this, have you observed my servant Job? He's awesome. He's incredible. He loves me. He cares about me. He's perfect. He loves good, and he hates evil. And the devil said, yeah, I've observed him. 
I like to kill him. I like to take him out. I like to shut him down. I like to, de- I like to trash, I like to level him. And I believe there are times when the devil looks upon our life, looks upon our marriage, and looks upon our finances and our ministry, and I think the devil would like to trash us. I think the devil would like to take us out, destroy us, and devastate us. That's his hatred for us. But the devil said, yeah, I've observed him, and I'd really like to mess with him, but I can't touch him because you have built a hedge around him, and he is protected. Aren't you glad today for the protective divine hand of God in your life that surrounds you, that protects you? Ever since we lost Angel, it seemed like every time, without exception, I get on the freeway, there's a moment there, had I not responded defensively, I could have been in a wreck. Can anybody relate? It's a dangerous world. I was turning left, coming past um, the freeway. I come under the freeway. I went to turn left into the Exxon. There was a car coming in my direction with the left turn signal, and I went to turn left, and the car coming towards me turned left, did not see the little Mustang to my side, and they hit head on, and as they hit, they began to drift towards me, and I just, I just, I just made the turn. There was no cars coming. I pulled into the parking lot of Exxon, and everybody, was, everybody heard the crash, and nobody was hurt, and everybody heard the crash and ran out, and I just said, thank you, Lord, for thinking about me. Thank you for that cushion. Thank you for that, that moment. Had it been just a few seconds earlier, it could have been me that he pulled right out in front of. But it is a dangerous world that we live in, and I believe the enemy has two goals. Number one, to shut you up and to shut you down. I believe that's his purpose. That's his plan. He was in the presence of God. He knows God's glory. He knows God's power. He knows the power of praise. He knows the power of worship. He would like to shut you up. He does not want you singing in the night. He does not want you loving God, responding to God, worshiping God. He hates that. Matt, he probably was the choir director of heaven. There are three archangels. We know that's Michael, Gabriel, and Satan. It is my personal opinion that Gabriel led one-third of the angels in praise and worship to God. I believe that Michael led one-third of the angels in praise and worship to the Holy Spirit. I believe it was responsibility of Satan to lead one-third of the angels in praise and worship to the light, the preexistent word, Jesus Christ. The devil saw the power of that worship, began to see God move and the glory of God move as the angels begin to praise and the angels begin to worship. The Bible says the house was filled with smoke and the posts of the doors began to move. And we have learned in our life that praise moves God, praise hinders the enemy, and praise brings victory. Whether we feel like praising or not. There are times in my life when I don't really feel like praise and I don't really feel like I don't, it's not been all that good of a day. Can anybody relate? And then I just walk around singing the name of God. How many knows the name of God? No one. How many knows the personal name of God? God has a personal name. How many knows that God has a nickname? You know what it is? It's Andy. Yeah. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me I am his. <laughs> I know that's silly. I made Melissa mad. I'm sorry, Melissa. <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. But David, when I when I when I just am at my at my very lowest, and and it's usually the people that bring me down. It's funny, uh, the transmission fallout, what, whatever it is, or a thing that try to bring me down. But I've learned if I turn that moment, whether I feel like it or not, and I begin to praise, I begin to worship. It seems like there's a change 
in the atmosphere, the ambiance begins to change. God comes near, and I realize I'm alive. I'm alive today. I have a lot to be thankful for. And when you begin to make a list of the good things in your life, most times they will way overshadow the bad things in your life. And the bad things in your life are the things that God wants you to correct, wants to, to confront and to correct and make yourself a better person, not just for you, but everybody surrounding that. Job was a great guy. He loved God. And the devil said, I can't touch him. You've got a hedge around him. He said, but let me touch his stuff. And Job had several thousand camels, several thousand sheep, several thousand oxen. He was a wealthy man. The Bible says the wealthiest man in the east. There wasn't a west at that time, so he probably was also the wealthiest man in the west and the north and the south. He was a patriarch. He had a chunk of change. And so the devil began to, and we're not sure, Matt, whether God allowed the devil to do it or the devil required of God to do it. It's kind of controversial. Did God bring it? Did God bring the fire down? Did God bring the wind down? Did God bring the Sabians and the Ammonites to come and to steal? But Job started getting some messages, and there were four. There were four storms. A servant came to him and said, all of your oxen have been stolen. I alone am alive to tell you the story. Then the story of the camels, they're stolen. Then the oxen are stolen. Then all of a sudden... There is an earthquake. Job had 10 kids, and the Bible says that he had seven sons and three daughters. Look at somebody say, that's a lot of kids. That gives Leela a new goal. We, we've, got, we've got six. We still have time for four more, I, I believe. You never. And if Gene doesn't do something about that, we're probably going to have another. Uh, anyway, um, seven boys and three girls. And once every, every, every birthday, they would meet at whosever birthdays it was, they would meet at the house, and the Bible says they would eat and they would drink wine and they would celebrate. Job worried about his kids. Every time there was a birthday, he sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord. He interceded to the Lord. He went to the Lord on behalf of his children. Guys, we are the prophet, priest, and king of our family. We are the prophet. It's our responsibility to tell our family what God has to say. As the priest, we're responsible to tell God about our children. And as the king, we are to rule them by serving, to set an example. And as Job was interceding for his children every birth, 10 birthdays a year, every time there was a birthday, he had a prayer meeting. Every time there was a birthday, he offered sacrifice unto God. But the Bible says that there was a storm and there was an earthquake and the the, the, the roof of where they were assembled to celebrate fell, and all 10 of them lost their life. All 10 of them lost their life. We know that there was another meeting in the air, and Satan shows up again. God asks the same question. Satan says, I've been walking to and fro the earth looking, and he said, have you considered my servant Job? Even through calamity, he's not lost his integrity. And, God, and Satan says, yes, I've observed him, but skin for skin, Flesh for flesh, let me affect him physically, and he'll curse you. Thank you. Don't you wish you had a glass of water? So where were we? Have you ever been at the place where you felt like you couldn't pray or your prayers availed nothing? Ever? Nobody? 
Have you ever been to the place where you're sick and the toughest thing in the world to do is pray for yourself? Can anybody relate? I mean, it's easy to walk to hospital. I was in the hospital last night. Robin, one of our, one of our guys, got bit by a spider, and his arms all swollen and had a big, big, horrible-looking place on there. It was easy for me to drive my little Lexus in my little parking lot and walk in the little room and pray my little prayer. That was easy. But you know what? If I had a spider bite, sometimes it seems like my prayers don't go anywhere or I find it tough to pray for myself. Can anybody relate? So the God said, don't kill him. You can touch him physically, but don't kill him. And Job came, a disease come upon Job. There were, there were sores. They were oozing some form of leprosy. And so Job covers himself in sackcloth and ashes. That was, the, that was what you did during that day. You rubbed ashes all over you. And he sat, and he took, a, he took a piece of broken pottery and began to scrape the sores, the itching, the irritation. And Job's wife came to him and said, you know what? You have ticked God off. You may as well go ahead and curse God and die. And I've heard a lot of negative things said about Job's wife. But can I say this? She just buried 10 children that she birthed. How many times have we, when things have been really, really bad, it's easy to blame God. It's easy to get mad. It's easy to question God. Can anybody, can anybody relate to what Pastor is saying this morning? And Job did not, obviously he didn't curse God. He didn't die. He didn't follow her counsel. But the reason she gave that counsel, because she was hurt. She was wounded. She was beat up. And so Job finds himself sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And uh, the Bible says that he had some friends. If you'll research, there were four friends, not three. But when the three friends, four friends came, and saw Job at a distance, they sat, and for seven days they sat there and never said a word to him because his grief was so great. Then all of a sudden you get several chapters of his friends telling him what they thought Job had done wrong. Anybody have anybody like that in your life? Tries to tell you why God is not moving in your behalf? Tries to tell you why you're not surviving financially? Tries to tell you why you're going through a bunch of bad stuff. It seems like an opinion's like a nose. Everyone has one, and everybody's always trying to stick at my business. Do I have a friend in the house this morning? These friends begin to rant. They begin to rave. One dealt with pride. One said, Job, you're prideful. That's why this curse has come upon you. One friend said, Job, your theology is out of order. That's why this has come upon you. The other friend said, Job, your confession isn't right. You're not confessing the right thing. You're not saying the right thing. You're not doing the right thing. But they were all full of it. They had absolutely no clue what was going on. And towards the end of this journey, the Bible, Bible says that God told Job to pray for his friends. And when, God, when Job prayed for his friends, the Bible said it turned the captivity of Job. He was healed. He restored he got all of his ox back, all of his sheep back, all of his cattle back, got, got all the camels back, and the Bible says that God blessed him with 10 more children. And that's kind of the point that I want to make this morning. If you'll go with me to Job, the 23rd chapter, I want to just bring attention to where Job's at. I have felt... In the past nine weeks, do you like how my glasses match my shirt, my shoes? Isn't that cool? You should have put some purple Kool-Aid there. Did we? 
I have felt in the past nine weeks that God at times has been a million miles away. And I have felt that my prayers have been redundant, lethargic, pitiful. And I've felt myself having a pity party. And in that pity party, anybody relate to pity? <laughs> Going to lay my head on a railroad track. Or how about my favorite song? Can't you see? Can't you see what that woman's been doing to me? Well, I don't sing that. Can't you see? Can't you see what the church members have been doing to me? Going to climb a mountain, the highest mountain. Going to find a hole in the wall. Hello. Going to take the, the, help me, the eastbound all the way to Georgia to the, the train runs. Has anybody ever felt what I'm saying? Anybody ever had the blues? And everybody just felt, just felt like, like there was no one there. There was nothing there. And nothing could ease the pain. And nothing could solve the problem. Here's Job. He's lost his assets. He's lost his savings. He's lost his children. And he's dying. He's got a disease that is killing him. Job 23, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. Job has lost God. And in crying out to God, Job said, I can't find God. I've got this feeling that if I can find him, everything's going to be okay. If I can find him, he's not going to judge me, but he's going to strengthen me. And he's mourning the loss of his children. He's mourning the loss of his health. He's mourning the loss of his assets and his savings and everything that he lost. And he goes on to say this. Verse 8. Behold, I go forward, and he's not there. Have you ever been to a place in your life where you got ahead of God? Anybody? You felt like you tried to take matters in your own hands, you tried to solve it your own way and make it happen your own way. That's where, that's where Job is at. Job's saying, I'm ahead of God. I'm not where God's at. I'm not what God is doing, but I'm ahead of God. Look at the next verse. But he is not there. I go backward. Has anybody ever felt like they missed God, that there was a purpose and a plan and a direction, and you made a wrong decision, and you found yourself weeping, irritated, sad, because you felt like you missed the plan of God. Anybody, anybody relate? I'll just assume that your silence is in, in agreement. Verse 9. On the left hand where he doth usually work. Can anybody relate to a place in your life or a, a mood in your life that you can actually do things to bring God to where you're at to feel, feel his presence? Anybody? A certain prayer or a certain song? Years ago, the Happy Goodmans uh, put together some incredible music, and 
Uh, I had the privilege of going with them to Israel. They're all, they're all dead now. And, uh, but they sang this song that says, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. That's the reason why I love him so. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. I found myself in times of attack or adversity or discouragement or depression that I could sing that song. And Karen, it seemed like that God immediately honored my verbiage and came to where I was and I felt his presence. But Job is saying what I usually do to motivate God and what I usually do to get God's attention, it's not working. And he mentions the right. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. All the way through the Bible, the right hand of God is always considered to be the power and the authority of God. So Job is saying, I'm, I'm miracleless. I'm healingless. I'm frustrated. I, I, I'm going through some stuff, and I'm not doing well, and it's really messing me up. And if I don't hear from God, I'm going to do something stupid. You ever been there? Well, that's where I've been. He's not ahead of me. I can't find him in Hillsong. I can't find him in the book of Daniel. I can't find him in Louis Gigolo. I don't, I don't feel him in my prayer room. I don't feel him in my church. I don't feel him in my car because I've been listening to Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just being real. Everybody that drives my car changes the station to country. Don't you know if you play country music backwards, you get your dog back, your truck back, your wife back? Don't you understand country western music is way worse than rock and roll? Hello? At least rock and roll, you know, play it backwards. At least it's pretty, pretty open. But, but have you ever, Becky's been delivered from, have you been delivered? That'd be something that we'll be praying. I know I, I probably shouldn't be, be doing uh, mama come home, mama go home, mama I'm, come, mama I'm coming home. I know. But you know what? You do stupid things when you feel like that God's not near. Anybody relate? You'll go places you shouldn't go. You'll drink things you shouldn't drink. You'll, you'll say things you shouldn't say because God seems to be lost. But look at the next verse. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I'm ministering to a young lady that's struggling for her sanity. She's struggling for her health. She's been horrifically hooked on heroin, horrifically hooked on heroin. And, and the Lord is doing some great things in her life. And, and I call her every day and pray with her. And I check on her. And I told her, I said, you are going through a storm. You're going through a valley. You're going through a trial. But when you survive this trial, when you pass this test, you're going to come forth as pure gold. Now, there's a difference between gold and pure gold. The way that pure gold is achieved is you take all the stuff that gold has and all the dross and all the impurities and you put them in a vat. And then you put the vat on a fire. And then you crank the fire up. And as you crank the fire up, what's in the vat begins to melt. Anybody ever felt like that they're in a fire? Anybody ever felt like they get to a place in life where they want what God has and God begins to turn up the heat 
and you begin to realize that there's a lot of inconsistencies in your life. There's a lot of excuses in your life. There's a lot of, what word am I looking for when you put something off you should be, you should be doing? Procrast, anybody? Feel like there's some procrastination in your life? You feel like there's a stirring going on? You feel like that, I know he's there. I know he hears me. But I really, really need a parazim, which means breakthrough. Ever felt like that? I, I really need a breakthrough. I really need to get to where God's at. I really need to hear what God is saying. I really need to do what God's calling me to do. You're going through a trial. It may not be as severe as Job or severe as Courtney's, but you're going through something. And through this something, as we learn to trust and leave ourselves and, and be, stay sane for a while, there's a stirring taking place. And Miguel, there, this, all this junk that's in this gold, it, it rises to the top because of the heat. And they take a ladle or a, or, a, or, a, or a screen and they scrape off the impurities and they scrape off the impurities. And I think some of us are just going through a real good cleansing. I think some of us are just going through a real good, just a, just a, good, a, good, a, good, a good bath, a good wash. And the, the stuff's being removed from us. And we're not thinking what we used to think. And we're not saying what we used to think. We're not saying what we used to say. We're not doing what we used to do. There's a change coming, and you want to be a part of it. And so that all that junk's removed and all that junk's removed. And you know how to determine that gold is pure? You look over the vat, and you look at the contents, and when you can see your reflection in that, in that liquid, that's when the gold is pure. And that's the trials, and that's the tests, and that's some of the stuff that we go through. Nevertheless... He knows the path that I take, and when he's done trying me, I shall come forth as pure gold. I encourage you this morning, if you feel like you're going through a trial, don't give up. If, you're going, if you think you're going through a tough time, don't give up. If you feel like that, that you're being tacked in every area, of your life, you probably are, but don't give up. Know today that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and he never gave up on you, so you can't give up on him. I spent a few minutes yesterday going to one of our saints' homes, and there was some lumber, and there were some nails. They called me. They said, we need to build something, but we really don't need to build it. Will you come and show us how to build it? And I said, sure, I will. Went home, put my best clothes on. Don't ever go to a work site with dirty clothes. Anyway, went to the site. Showed them how to build the ramp. Showed them how to put the thing on top. Showed them how to screw it. Showed them, and they they really had they really had they really had a, they really knew what they were doing. But they just needed someone, I guess, just to say that's right. That do it that way, and you'll be okay. Went inside. Hot rods laying there. Got a scar from his neck to his tummy. Got a 12-inch rod in his thigh. He's got staples in his shin. And uh, we talked yesterday and said, I said, hot rod. I said, God has gloriously spared your life for a reason. You've gone through it. You've gone through some stuff. There's some stuff taking place. You're going through some stuff. But you're not dead. You're alive to proclaim the goodness and the mercies and the miracle of God in your life. And while I was there, there were several that came and went out. And everyone that came in, he said, I want you to go to church with me in the morning. I want you to go to church with me in the morning. He called this morning early. Jay called and said, had a tough day yesterday. Didn't feel like coming but he wanted you to know 
He wants to be here. And don't ever take advantage of the two legs that you have and the two arms that you have that you have to be able to walk and, and skip and laugh and dance and do whatever you want to do. Don't ever take advantage of that. Be thankful for that. If you go with me to Job 42, I will take the, nine, the next nine minutes to teach what I feel like God gave me this morning for you. So Job prays for his friends. And when Job prays for his friends, the Bible says immediately his captivity was turned. Cheryl, they weren't that good of friends. They're actually punks. All they did was judge and criticize and condemn. That's all they did. But Job prayed for them. You ever had somebody in your life you feel like that you're going through a tough time and they should be a little sympathetic and all they do is say, I told you so? Anybody? Yeah, we don't need friends like that. Hang around people that celebrate you, not tolerate you. Do I have an amen in the house? So Job prays. God heals his body. God restores all of the oxen, all the, all the sheep, all the camels, everything. God restores and gives it back to Job. And then Job's wife has ten more children. Ten more children. Can you imagine Leah birthing 20 children? Gene, can you imagine 20 children? The good news, there were ten in heaven and there were ten with him. When you read the genealogies in, in Matthew and you read the genealogies in Leviticus, in genealogies in the Bible, you'll never find the name of a girl with two exceptions. In that generation, it was all about the guys. The girls weren't all that important, but the guys were important. And that's why you see so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so. But you don't see a lot of reference concerning the women. This was not so in Job's day. When Job had ten more children, he has three daughters. And the Bible says they're the fairest in all the land. That's quite a statement. They're the fairest in all the land. And for some reason, we don't know any of the names of the first ten kids. We don't know the names of the seven sons. But for some reason, we have the names of three of the girls. And notice, if you will, verse 13. He had also seven sons and three daughters. Let me read verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses, donkeys. If you'll look at the first chapter, he had half of these things. So God doubles what he loses. Look at somebody and say, if you'll stay faithful, if you don't give up and quit, God will give you double for your trouble. Look at someone and say, I want double for my trouble. I didn't throw in the towel. I didn't flip God off. I didn't go get smashed. I stood my ground. Go ahead. I stood my ground, and God was faithful. And he called the names of the first Jemima. We know that name. Help me. And Jemima pancakes without the syrup is like the spring without the fall. There's only one thing worse in this universe, and that's no Aunt Jemima at all. Okay, so Jemima got her name from Job 42. Notice the second, the second daughter, and the name of the second, Kasia, and the name of the third. This is a pretty crazy name, Karen 
Hapooch. Karen Hapooch. How many would like the name of Karen Hapooch? That, that's her name. But we know that most times we name our children after an event that's already taken place. Streets in this city are named after events that's already taken place. So we see Job as he is double for his trouble, has ten more children. He has three girls. They're little darlings. And he names one Jemima. He names one Kazia. And he names one Karen. What is so crazy is the, is the name Jemima in the Hebrew means dove. Dove represents the Holy Spirit. And here's what Job is saying. I went through some stuff. I got beat up. I got wounded. I got hurt. But I never lost the Spirit of God. He was always there. I couldn't see him. I couldn't touch him. I couldn't, didn't seem like I could talk to him. But he never failed me or forsook me. I'm here to tell you. Whatever storm you're going through, you are not alone. There's somebody there with you that will carry a lot of this if you'll let them. There's somebody with you that will sort some things out if you let them. There's somebody there with you that will do things divinely if you will get yourself out of the way and let the Spirit of God begin to do what the Spirit of God wants to do. The second name, Kazia, is an element in use in the, in the apothecary. In the book of Leviticus, when they built the the tabernacle, the tabernacle was made of goats and, and badger skins on the outside. The inside walls were lined with beautiful perp silk, gorgeous tapestry. There were three rooms in that chamber. There was the outer court where the altar, where the animals were sacrificed. In the inner court, there were five pieces of furniture where the priest would go and prepare himself. And then the inner courtyard, the Holy of Holies, there was a curtain. And that curtain separated God from man. The Holy of Holies was in the curtain. The rod of Aaron was in the curtain. And what the priest was required to do before he went beyond the veil in the presence of God, there was an altar called apothecary. And the apothecary had seven ingredients, and those ingredients were mixed together like potpourri, like incense. They were placed on top of coals, and as they began to turn to vapor and turn to smoke, the priest would stand in that vapor, in that smoke, and he would saturate his garments with that fragrance, with that perfume, with that cologne. And then when he went beyond the veil, the first thing that God sensed or realized was that apothecary. It was that fragrance. And I promise you, no matter how beat up, no matter how broken, no matter how frustrated, when you begin to clothe yourself with praise and worship and you begin to declare praise and worship, there's a fragrance that comes from you that hits the presence of God, the glory of God, the hand of God. God stands up, honors that worship, honors that praise, and begins to change things in your life. Do I have a praiser in the house? Is there a worshiper in the house? Anybody here? It sounds so crazy. This glass was made to hold water. This podium was, was made to hold my Bible. These glasses were made to help me read. I was made to praise the Lord. I am a guitar. I'm a trumpet. I'm a drum. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a vessel of music. I'm a vessel of praise and worship. And when I begin to do what I'm supposed to do, then God does what he's supposed to do, and that show up, show out, and show off. That's when God shows up, things change. When God shows up, mountains flatten. When God shows up, valleys become pleasant. When God shows up, the drunk starts drinking Dr. Pepper, the liar starts telling the truth, and the prostitute changes their ways and begins to serve God. Am I talking to anybody in the house this morning? Something happens when we praise him because he can work through those who praise him. 
And if I was a singer and I'm not, I've already proved that. Nobody bought my album. I actually have an album. I don't know if you know that or not, cassette tape, but nobody ever bought it. But if I could sing, Chris, this is what I would sing. When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, don't let the faith within you seem to disappear. Just praise the Lord for he can work through those who praise him. Praise the Lord for the, our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for those chains that seem to bind you, serve only to remind you they drop powerless when you praise him. Whether you're in the car, whether you're on the job, whether you're at the house, whether you're in a bass boat, whether you're in a tree stand, when you begin to focus and declare how good he is, he begins to focus and realize how much he loves us. And the last daughter, Karen. Karen Harpu in the Hebrew, are you ready? Great revelation. Most of us, most of, most of the congregation is female. Most of us this morning have applied this prophetic word. Karen Kapooch means eyeliner. Eyeliner. How many girls can relate? Where's our eyeliners? In the time of Christ, when a daughter, the kids all played together, daughters and sons and cousins and aunts and uncles, they all played together. But when the daughter entered puberty, she was required from that moment forward, when she was in public, she had to cover her face. And that's what, that was the law. And that's how they operated. And so 13, 14, 15 years of age, everywhere she went, she covered her face. It's hard to flirt with somebody when your face is covered. Hello. It's hard to get a date. Am I, you know, when you got a bag over your head. Hello. Am I talking about the house? So the only way she could flirt and the only way that she could be romantic was she did something with her eyes. She had Betty Davis eyes. And she used them with all of her power, all of her strength, all her femininity. And somehow, through her eyes, there was a young man that fell in love with those eyes and fell in love with that. He didn't know what she looked like. He didn't know what, you know, he didn't know it was all about the base. He didn't know anything. <laughs> they wore these big old, I mean, you couldn't, couldn't tell. I mean, she could be like a broom or, you know, like a, like a tub. You know, but there was something <laughs> about those eyes. And somehow that eyes made a difference. And that starry-eyed young man would go to that girl's dad and sell his life and give himself away for her hand in marriage. The, 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 the moral of this story here is vision. Job never lost sight of who God was and what God did. When he lost everything, you know what he said? Naked, I came to this world, and naked, I'll depart. He realized it's not about stuff. It's not about how many cars you can acquire in your driveway or how many Rolexes you can put on your wrist or how big is your bank account or how big is your home. It's not about that. It's about sowing into things that are eternal. 
sowing into things that have meaning, sowing, th- sowing in a church, sowing in a marriage, sowing in a friendship, sowing in a ministry. Those are the things that are significant, and those are the things that are important. Do I have a friend in the house? So it's not about, it's not about stuff. He said, naked I came to this world, and naked I'm going to leave. You know, Karen, what, you know what he said about the whole summer of all the bad stuff? The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the scripture says, and Job did no sin. He didn't compromise his integrity. He didn't compromise his faith. He didn't compromise his stand for God. Here's where I'm at. If I lose everything, I came with nothing. I'll leave with nothing. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There'll be seasons in your life when things are good. There'll be seasons in your life where you'll make overtime. There's seasons in your life where you get unexpected things in the mail. We got an unexpected thing in the mail. All the hell came. Most of you know the Lexus is 2002. It has 180,000 miles on it. When the hell came, the Lexus got pounded. The guy came out, looked at it, and sent us a check for $4,500. I don't think the car is even worth $4,500. But that's unexpected. Would you not say that would be unexpected a blessing? Well, he got up on the roof, and he looked at the hell damage, and that was $3,500. I took a package of shingles and repaired it for about $19.21 and put the rest in our survival. I started savings. We don't have a savings. In our survival. Do I have a friend in the house? Only God can take a bad thing and turn it around. Only God can, can take a, a, a bad decision and turn around and make it work for our good. And that's, that's all about vision. That's all about having a, a purpose and a plan to survive. You've got to have a vision. The second thing that Job said, without a Bible, without a pastor, without an OCI, without Church of the Harvest, without a book, he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and shall stand at the latter day upon this earth. And though the skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh... Shall I see God? And here's what Job realized. You've got to realize he was like Donald Trump. He had power. He had money. He had wealth. He had influence. He had all of that. And then he found himself broke, hurt, wounded, sick, dying, frustrated. He had been to both sides of the fence. He'd seen it all. And here's what Job said. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's going to be a resurrection and God's going to come. And even though I'm dead, I'm in a box and the, the worms are devouring my body. My flesh is going to resurrect. I'm going to rise up out of this casket. I'm going to rise. Hello. I'm going to, you know, I just went to examine the caskets. I gave the guy a couple hours. I looked at the caskets. I looked at the plots. I looked at the. So this casket is mildew proof. This casket is mold proof. This casket is, is moisture proof. And this casket, I said, man, this is a pretty good casket. It's a pretty expensive casket. I said, let me ask you a question. Is this casket rapture-proof? Well, the guy was a second-generation Church of God pastor, knew exactly what that come. He goes, no. He said, if you're in this casket and the rapture takes place, this casket ain't going to hold you down. Look at somebody and say it with a black tone of voice, ain't no grave going to hold my body come. 
He's coming like a thief in the night. When he comes, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet them with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm here to tell you, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how frustrating, no how beat up you feel you are, there is coming a day when the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. And there's a coming a day when we're going to rise up to meet the Lord in the air and we're going to walk on those streets of gold and we're going to see David and we're going to see Paul and we're going to see Elijah and we're going to visit, we're going to hang out and we will dwell forever in the house of the Lord. It doesn't get any better than that. I conclude with, how many friends are you going to take with you? How are you going to live your life to influence others? How are you going to let the lost know you're in trouble? You're on a one-way road to death and destruction and hurt and harm, but you don't have to be in this road. You can turn things around. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this season. Thank you for this time. Thank you for questions and answers. Thank you that you're in control. You may not work it the way I want it to work, but you're working it. You may not do it the way I want it done, but you're doing it. Obviously, your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts, but I'm trying to learn your ways. I'm trying to learn your thoughts. I'm trying to have the mind of Christ. I'm trying to think like you think. I'm trying to rationalize the way you rationalize. But it comes right down to it. You're God. You're in control. I love you. I trust you. And I give you all my doubt. I give you all my confusion. I give you all my hurts. Wrong words, wrong actions. In Jesus' name. And they all said, 